traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Imagine that your dreams could forewarn you of imminent disaster. Disaster so catastrophic that some part of it bleeds back in time into your consciousness, some detail, some trigger that you'll recognize. So when the time really comes, it shocks you to your core and it stops you in your tracks and it saves you from certain death. Last time on the Twilight Zone podcast you heard two such stories, but as we'll find out with tonight's Twilight Zone, entitled 22, there's always room for one more. This is Miss Liz Powell. She's a professional dancer. She's in the hospital as a result of overwork and nervous fatigue. And at this moment we have just finished walking with her in a nightmare. In a moment, she'll wake up and will remain at her side. The problem here is that both Miss Powell and you will reach a point where it might be difficult to decide which is reality and which is nightmare. A problem uncommon, perhaps, but rather peculiar to the Twilight Zone. First broadcast on the 10th of February, 1961. Written by Rod Serling, but based on an anecdote from famous ghost stories by Bennett Cerf. Directed by Jack Smite. So last time round we heard The Bus Conductor by E.F. Benson, a story from 1912 taken from his anthology The Room in the Tower and other stories. Then we heard another take on it read by the wonderful Brandy Jacola when she read an anecdote from the 1944 book Famous Ghost Stories, which was compiled by Bennett Cerf. Although Cerf doesn't credit Benson in that book, it's clearly inspired by the bus conductor. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if there is some earlier literary version of it because it's one of those stories that is quite simple but it could be changed or tweaked here and there to a different time, different place, different people, while keeping that same core idea. And we're going to see that tonight. But while it is a simple tale, it's also maybe too simple to be expanded too much. It's a quick little sting, a short build-up, then with a creepy shock ending. So perfect fodder for a short story segment in an anthology. Before it was ever in the Twilight Zone, it was used, again uncredited, as just that short segment in the 1945 British anthology, Dead of Night. In Dead of Night, a group of people arrive at a country house for a party, but one of the guests claims that he's seen all the other guests before, in a dream. Throughout the film, each of the guests tell stories about some strange things that have happened to them in the past. One of these is told by Hugh Granger, played by Anthony Baird. 
Hugh is a racing driver who spends some time in a hospital. One night, when he's in the hospital, he looks out of the window and sees a hearse being driven by a man. And I think you know what comes next. Just room for one inside, sir. Dead of Night is a charming film, and I do recommend it. It's very highly regarded by the likes of Martin Scorsese. He picks it as one of his scariest films of all time, and perhaps more famous than our story, the one about uh, the bus conductor, is a story involving a ventriloquist dummy later on in the film, which is really quite chilling and perhaps also inspired a later Twilight Zone episode that we'll get to one day. I mentioned earlier that 1944 book Famous Ghost Stories which was edited by Bennett Cerf. Now near the back of that book is a section where Cerf addresses his readers and he says, do you suffer from dinner parties that sag after the soup course? Do spells of lethargy seize you at literary salons? Are you allergic to moonlight picnics? Try introducing a couple of neatly contrived ghost stories the next time the going is slow and watch the electrifying results. And it's from then on that he presents the story that we know as the bus conductor in this new modified version that he made. Now, as it turns out, Bennett Cerf went on to become the president at Random House Incorporated and would often spend time as a guest of the sailings at their Pacific Palisades home. Martin Grams Jr. in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic relays how Cerf, as a way of thanking the sailings, arranged for a parcel of books to be sent to them in December of 1959. Among those books was Famous Ghost Stories. Now in itself, I think there's enough in that story and the original tale to inform the episode 22, you know, the beats are all there. But apparently, Martin Grams Jr. also says that a lady called Mrs. Matthews of Needham wrote to Rod Serling with some newspaper clippings from the Boston Herald. These clippings told the story of a construction worker who shook hands with his colleagues and said to them that he would be dead before Wednesday. Sure enough, in the days that followed, a 120-foot crane collapsed and killed three men, including the man who had foreseen his own death. So now fully inspired, Rod Sailing completed his own version for the Twilight Zone. In this version, a dancer named Liz Powell, played by Barbara Nichols, is in a hospital due to nervous exhaustion. While she's there, she is being looked after by a doctor played by the great Jonathan Harris. While she's in the hospital, she's been having a recurring dream, and the doctor explains it like this. You say it always happens in perfect chronology. You wake up, you feel thirsty, you reach for the glass, you hear the clock ticking loudly, 
very loudly. It unnerves you. The glass slips out of your hand and breaks on the floor. And then I hear the footsteps outside. Footsteps? Whose footsteps? Miss Powell seems to feel they're the footsteps of a nurse. They are the footsteps of a nurse. I hear them. They come down the corridor and stop outside my door. I jump out of bed. Now, Miss Powell. I open the door, and I see this nurse going into an elevator. I follow her. The elevator goes down to the basement floor. Down at the end of the hall, there's a room. Room 22. What kind of room? It's the hospital morgue, Mr. Canada. Miss Powell seems to feel that the nurse comes out of the morgue, looks straight at her and says... One more, honey. So if you listened to last week's show, you will recognise the beats of this story, and we're all becoming particularly familiar with the catchphrase, room for one more, with little tweaks to it here and there. In the original story, it was room for one more, sir, and this time it's room for one more, honey, so it's tweaked for whatever the situation is. Now, while Liz is in the hospital, she's visited by her agent, Barney Kamener. He's played as a bit of a stereotype, a bit larger than life, with these showbiz glasses, and he's played by Fred Wayne. And I think Fred Wayne is probably a more interesting man than this part gives him credit for. He has one of those real start-at-the-bottom-work-way-up kind of stories, He worked at Warner Brothers as a mailboy when he was young and he observed the actors getting to know that world, that kind of thing. When he was drafted in World War II, he became involved in writing and producing plays for the soldiers. And when he returned, although he got a regular job, he was still attending acting classes with the likes of Lee Marvin, who we will see in the future in The Twilight Zone. So this then led to Broadway and then to television, where he became one of our hard-working television actors of the time. But perhaps his signature role was Benjamin Franklin, and he played Franklin for years and years in a one-man show. But this also led to him playing him on television in several different shows like Bewitched, or in the film A More Perfect Union, America Becomes a Nation, in 1989. And we'll see Fred Wayne again in the episode, The Arrival. So an interesting man, and this is not his fault, but I can't help feeling that the character of Barney Kamener is a bit surplus to requirements. Wayne plays him okay, you know, fine as this larger-than-life showbiz manager, but in this creepy little tale set in a hospital, I don't think he really needs to be there. Liz having these conversations about her dream with the Doctor would have been just fine and probably better as the Doctor had quite a creepy vibe about him as well sometimes. So in the dream, as we have heard, it follows the same pattern every night. Liz wakes up, she reaches for a glass of water, knocks it over, she goes out into the corridor and she sees a shadowy nurse getting into an elevator. She calls the elevator back up from the basement, then she gets inside. 
she goes down and then goes along a corridor to room number 22. Then the nurse comes to the door and she says, Room for one more, honey. So Liz is in the hospital for nervous exhaustion and the doctor believes that this is just another symptom of that. So he recognises this pattern, this repeat dream every night and he tries to break the cycle. I'll tell you what, Miss Powell, to prove my point, let's try something different. Like what? You say it always happens in such pure chronology. That your actions are always the same. Tonight when you're dreaming, or as you say when you're waking up, don't reach for the glass. See if breaking the routine a bit won't stop it from happening. So the next time the dream starts, instead of reaching for the water, Liz lights a cigarette. Back in the good old days when you could lie in a hospital bed and smoke. When she puts the lighter back, she drops it and then she knocks the water off. And the sequence of events is then restored back to how the dream usually is and it plays out as normal. So let's pause for a moment and speak about a particular aspect of this episode. It is of course one of the videotaped episodes and sometimes that does impact quite negatively. In this case, I actually think it's okay. With the darkness of the hospital, it, this videotaped aspect of it is certainly very noticeable. You know, movement trails on the screen when people move, that sort of thing. But I think it gives the episode a very kind of stripped down feeling. It's, it's difficult to put into words what I mean, so I'll try and explain that. UK listeners especially might recall that in the 70s and 80s, probably, before that too, British television had a very stagey feel about it because it was filmed on videotape. You know, case in point, while The Twilight Zone in the 60s was filming on film, Doctor Who in the 60s was filming on videotape. It was cheaper. It would continue to do so for many years. So there is quite a stagey feel about it. And there's probably a science to why film and video look and feel so different that someone with more experience could explain better than me. But I think you know what I mean. I do think that film looks better, but quite often British television of that time was quite successful at being pretty terrifying. Not in a blood and guts kind of way, but coming up with some very chilling imagery. If you look at a programme like Sapphire and Steel, you might know what I mean. So this videotaped feel doesn't provide the same separation from the viewer as film does. The way I kind of see it is film is like watching a moving painting while videotape is like looking through the window. It's more immersive to a degree. It's more like you're there and while I don't feel that 22 is terrifying, I do think it benefits a little from that vibe that made British television so scary at times. So the doctor's plan doesn't work and Liz has the dream again. So let's talk about the doctor. He is played by the legendary 
Jonathan Harris here in one of two Twilight Zones that he did and he'll appear again in the silence later in the season and this is all prior to maybe his most famous role of all as Dr. Zachary Smith in Lost in Space. Now you would think from his voice that he was from England but he was actually born in the Bronx in New York and his parents were Russian and when he was young and the acting bug struck him he shook off that accent and it was this voice which he uses to great effect in this episode that brought him a lot of work later in life as well in numerous animated projects including early Pixar movies like A Bug's Life and Toy Story 2. Now I love Jonathan Harris, I think he has such presence and mastery of his voice and expressions that I can't help watching him when he's on screen. I remember watching Lost in Space as a kid in reruns, not when it was originally on, and even then he stole every scene that he was in. And I think he's great in this episode too. He plays it at times where you think that maybe he's not actually a good guy. Maybe he's got a little hand in this. But that's only a little subtle hint and it's the Doctor who spots a very Rod Sailing little detail in Liz's story. That's odd. Now that's really odd. What is, Doctor? This afternoon when I was talking to her and she was telling me about this, this dream what about it? Following someone down the corridor, getting into the elevator, going down to the morgue. Morgue? Yes. She's never been there before. Patients are allowed there. And yet when she tells me the story, she mentions room 22. Room 22? Well, if she'd never been there, how would she know? How would she? If you remember, the original story is pretty straightforward. The premonition, then the incident. But Sailing has to pad it out to fit the running time of the show. And I think this is a nice little touch that he puts in there. So Liz is discharged from the hospital and then she goes to the airport. Now Barbara Nichols plays Liz and her stock in trade as an actor was being a busty blonde ditzy kind of woman but she was also said to have really great comic time and too and enjoyed making the most of that she was i suppose you could say as her work was mostly in television a kind of tv counterpart to what marilyn monroe was doing in the movies and i think she does okay in this she does play liz as that ditzy blonde caricature at times but i think she also shows a certain vulnerability at times too like marilyn monroe you get that feeling that there are layers beyond that persona but she just doesn't show them sadly barbara nichols would only live to the age of 47. two serious traffic collisions in the 50s and 60s left her in poor health which eventually took her life in 1976. And she said of doing this part in The Twilight Zone, I told Mr. Sailing I'm always a comedian. I told him I'd always wanted to do dramatic roles, so he wrote the show for me. I'm happy as a clam. Now, because the episode was taped, she was able to view what she had done in the previous scene while she was there on set. And she said, that's when I scared myself. There I was, in the bed, in the hospital nightgown, 
screaming my head off. I had to scream real loud, so I just screamed. I'm not a method actor. I didn't practice. I guess a method actor would have gone off in a corner to cogitate or maybe run around the building a few times. Me, I just screamed. Now, there's really not much trivia about this episode in, in any of my books, but uh, I guess we'll go with what we have. In Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, Martin Grams Jr. says, The nightgown Nichols wore in this episode caused one of the few retakes. It was not an ordinary nightgown by any means. It was a lacy job with a peekaboo front. And she said, well, anyhow, there was too much peekaboo or too little. Well, we had to redo it. That was just about the only laugh the camera crew had out of the whole show. Now, after leaving the hospital, Liz goes to board a plane and she notices that it is flight number 22. And when she goes to get on the plane, she sees a familiar face. Room for one more, honey. Now, as I said earlier, there hasn't been much trivia for this one, so it has been quite focused on the biographies of the actors involved, but they're quite interesting people. And our nurse stroke stewardess, played by Arlene Martel, is one of them. She was a very strikingly beautiful woman with quite feline features. She was another Bronx native who worked her way into television. When she was young, her mother's employer was so appalled by the slums where she lived that he personally paid for her to go to boarding school and then she went on to New York School for Performing Arts. Now looking down her resume, not that much really jumps out and she's probably more famous to some for dating James Dean. But sometimes someone will play a relatively small part in something and maybe not immediately, but in time, it will make them immortal in fandom. And for Arlene, that part was playing to Pring, Spock's wife, in the original series Star Trek episode, A Mock Time. And she was a fixture in the convention circuit for years to come, until her death in 2014. So in this version, the person in the premonition is... Not particularly scary, but maybe quite striking in her appearance. There's some impact in that way. Now in the original story by E.F. Benson, the premonition is quite striking too, with the mole on his face, with the hair coming out. Then there's the version from Famous Ghost Stories, which Brandy Jacola read last time round, where the premonition is described as being quite hideous. So this character, this ghost, or whatever they are, needs to have some impact in order to make the person who sees them remember them and be scared by them. But if it is a being or a ghost or something like that, it doesn't seem to be malevolent because it's actually saving their life. But is it a being or a ghost at all? It could be the character, in this case Liz, just having a premonition you know, who knows, but it makes for a good story. In this version, when Liz goes to board the plane, she sees the stewardess who delivers the line and Liz panics and she runs back to the airport 
where she sees the plane take off and burst into flames. And that effect was achieved in the most low-tech way possible. Fill a model plane full of explosives, put it on a wire, and make it explode. Good enough. Now I quite like this episode. It's a slightly different kind of story for the Twilight Zone. It's more in keeping with an old-fashioned ghost story, but that's where it came from. The best Twilight Zones are unusual people in unusual situations. But the flavour of unusual in this one isn't quite the same as Rod Serling's usual brand of unusual. Mark Zickery in The Twilight Zone Companion gives it quite a scathing review. He says 22 was not one of the more shining examples of The Twilight Zone. Barbara Nichols, Fred Wayne and Jonathan Harris give performances which are shrill, shallow and hard and the theme of the episode with its garbled premonitions and disbelieving bystanders seems so much better suited to a show like One Step Beyond. In the end, no one connected with the show felt very warmly towards it, says director Jack Smythe. I just didn't think it had the quality of some of the others. So not very positive from Mark Zickery, but I can kind of see where he's coming from on some of these things. Like I said, this isn't Sailing's usual brand of unusual, but I actually think that Sailing's adaption of this story, this original story, isn't flawless, but it's probably the best paced version, including the two literary versions and the film version. One of my criticisms of those versions is that it is all about the sting and the final shock. The characters around it can just seem like window dressing. Zikri calls the characters in the episode shallow. I think they're shallow in all the versions, but I think Sailing put enough personality onto the screen to at least make me somewhat interested in the people involved. And add to that a fairly creepy atmosphere. And I am somewhat entertained and satisfied. Miss Elizabeth Powell, profession dancer. Hospital diagnosis, acute anxiety brought on by overwork and fatigue. Prognosis, with rest and care, she'll probably recover. But the cure to some nightmares is not to be found in known medical journals. You look for it under potions for bad dreams. To be found in the twilight zone. You know, I do enjoy doing the readings of the stories and immersing myself in stories like that. But by the time I'm done with it, I am quite looking forward to moving on to the next thing. But before we talk about that, there has been a bit of news this week about a Twilight Zone reboot. Another year, more news about a Twilight Zone reboot that may or may not happen. But this time around, the news is that there's going to be a new television reboot and uh, on the rap.com it says the iconic science fiction tv series is being resurrected with a new dimension as digital video company interlude has secured a deal with cbs to turn the series into a project marrying television with gaming interlude is known for making videos that play like sophisticated choose your own adventure films and uh, it goes on to say for the coming twilight zone revival interlude and cbs 
were vague about the shape it would take, defining it as an original interactive project that will let viewers step in and become part of the story. Like many of the startup's past creations, it is sure to sew together live-action storytelling with opportunities for the viewer to choose the direction of the narrative. And it's being written and directed for the pilot episode, at least by a gentleman called Ken Levine, and he created the Bioshock games. And it says the new Twilight Zone will honour the original series approach, but will add the twist of letting the viewer change and adapt the story based on what he or she feels. As with all other interlude videos, viewers can retain repeatedly and have a different viewing experience each time. So, what do we think about that then? You know, whenever I have interviewed anyone on the Twilight Zone podcast in the past, I always ask them the question, you know, can the Twilight Zone really carry on without Rod Sailing? And I think myself, part of me always thinks no, because he was so integral to it, not only the writing, but as this presence on the show. But saying that, when I hear of some Twilight Zone news where they're going to reboot it into a film or a new TV series, there is that part of me that always gets a little bit excited. Maybe someone can crack the code. Maybe someone can figure out what a new Twilight Zone should be. You know, the 80s show and the 2000s show had their moments, but they fell short, you know, to a, a really satisfying show because it's... You know, we live in a different time, in a different world, with a different creative process. It's not like Rod Serling, where he wrote, you know, the majority of the shows, and a select few did the rest, and he was this presence throughout it. It's just not that world anymore. So, you know, when I ask people that question, it's because I like to hear what other people think about it, because I don't really know myself what I think about it. Like I said, there is that bit of me that, that gets a bit excited. But, I don't know, this time on this one, it just didn't spark that bit of excitement in me. I mean, this whole choose your own adventure thing, maybe that's the future of television. I don't know, maybe it just doesn't fill me with excitement because it's something new. But things have to start somewhere and I do try and keep an open mind because... The internet is so rife with people who just jump on everything as being the worst thing ever, you know, when it's first announced. I remember when Heath Ledger was announced as the Joker in The Dark Knight, and the internet went crazy, it's a terrible idea, so on and so on. Next minute, everyone is, you know, singing his praises. And I think, especially in the comic book movie world, time after time, that happens, you know, something gets announced, everyone goes crazy, jumps on it, and then, oh, actually, it turns out to be quite good. And then they quietly, you know, forget that they ever mentioned it. So I don't want to be that guy who jumps all over something when we, we know so little about it at this time. But we, we have to go with our gut, don't we? And my gut at the moment just isn't that enthused by this prospect of these, these choose-your-own-adventure twilight zones you know maybe because it hasn't been done well yet and maybe this could be the first time i don't know i'm willing to to give it a shot but 
but I just don't know. Another thing as well is I read a couple of sound bites from this guy who's who's developing it, and at the moment he, I think he said on Twitter that oh the, the Twilight Zone thing is just a side project. My uh, my full time gig at the moment is working on a particular video game. Well, this is the Twilight Zone, you know. It, it shouldn't be someone's side project. If you're going to do it, do it properly. You know, get someone like Brian Fuller as a showrunner on it. You know, he did such a great job on Hannibal. They've tapped him for the new Star Trek show. He's a he's a great showrunner. I mean, a lot of his stuff has been cancelled, but I think that's more that's not down to a, a lack of quality. It's just what you know, the look of the draw kind of thing. But his stuff is all always been of a high quality you know we need someone of that caliber who has a smart take on it that honors the past but has one foot in the future as well having it as someone's side project makes me feel that they're not really taking it that seriously and and i guess that's what really bothers me at the minute but you know what, we've had years and years of, of Twilight Zone reboot news, so let's wait and see. Anyway, that's enough for me. Next time around, we are looking at an episode called The Odyssey of Flight 33. If you want to send me any feedback, get your thoughts on the show about that, or if you want to get your thoughts in about what you think of this reboot idea, then I think I've got my email sorted now. Give it a try at Tom at the twilightzonepodcast.com if it bounces it back to you then hit me up at grindhousetom at gmail.com either of those should uh, get your message across but before I go I just want to say thank you for some new iTunes reviews in the UK we've had LT Decker who left a very kind review on there and in the US we've had Rob the Hoople who is Rob from New Jersey and also from Mark Slade. So thank you guys, I appreciate it. And like I say, you know, there's few rewards in podcasting, but getting a good review on iTunes is, you know, really one of the best things about it. So thank you guys, and I will see you next time in the Twilight Zone. (laughs) 